Welcome to the Tennis IQ Podcast. I'm Josh Berger. And I'm Brian Lomax. And today we're going to talk about the concept of competitiveness or being competitive. And the reason this topic came to mind, at least for me this week, was I was having a conversation with an athlete um, just a few days ago. And just sort of out of the blue, she was talking about you know the behavior of some of her friends and how it wasn't great behavior, but they, the, her friends were excusing it as saying, well, I'm just really competitive. And I thought that's interesting because many of us would probably describe ourselves as competitive. Um, some of us might even go to a point where we have some bad behavior because we're such we're so focused on wanting to win something that we excuse our own behavior. Uh, as being, oh, we're just really competitive. And so I thought this could be a really good topic for me and Josh to talk about and, and to really put some definitions to what it means to be competitiveness, to be competitive or, or competitiveness. Because I think, Josh, that similar to the term mental toughness, competitiveness is is a bit of a big term. I think it covers some different things. Um, and it probably could use some, some clarity, right? Sort of an umbrella, umbrella term. Um, and that's what I'd like to get into today is getting into some of the sort of the smaller constructs that make up what competitiveness is and how we can keep those in a proper balance so that it's, you know, it's healthy for the athlete, it's healthy for the ego, etc. So just to throw it back to you, Josh, when you hear being competitive, being competitive or competitiveness, what are some things that, that come to mind for you? Yeah. Um, well, f- first of all, when, when you brought up this topic, um, I, I, I immediately, you know, was excited because I think that, that this, th- th- this is something we've touched on in different episodes. Um, I can think back to our episode with, with Will Beauregard, um, our interview with him, where, where he talked about a conversation that he had with his wife, where, um, you know, she said, you're, you're very competitive, but wasn't always, you know, he wasn't always a great competitor. Um, and, you know, we had a conversation about what the difference between those two terms were. And, you know, maybe we'll get into that a little bit more and what are some aspects of being a great competitor. Um, but, but with being competitive or, you know, wanting to win regardless of everything else has a lot of drawbacks. Um, it, it might mean that, you're willing to win regardless of your sportsmanship, whether that means how you treat your opponent, how you treat the umpire, um, what, what sorts of line calls you make, um, that you're willing to do anything out there to win, even you know if, if rules are crossed. Um, it might mean also that you're not necessarily enjoying the, uh, the, the, the process of developing and becoming a better player because it's always about the results. It's always about um, winning rather than thinking about your development in more of a long-term perspective. Um, but no, I, I think, you know, th- it's something that, you know, I, I definitely see as well um, with, with some of the people that I work with where rather than being able to, you know, focus on that process and really try to break down what are the ingredients needed to, you know, for me to improve, for me to get to that next level, it's, it's almost a short-sightedness at times on winning, on, you know, thinking of this next match or this next tournament as 
the most important as everything, you know, comes down to this. Um, but I, I would agree that there, there are a lot of drawbacks there um, and that the, the goal ultimately should not just be, you know, to be competitive. Um, I, I would say, you know, that that's almost a um, precondition or something, you know, re- required to be successful, you know, being competitive and, and wanting to win, wanting to compete. Um, but, but rather, I mean, it, it can, it can certainly be something um, when, when it becomes prioritized too much, when winning becomes prioritized too much that that can get in people's way. And I think it is also sometimes glorified too much, right? Mm-hmm. We were talking earlier about Michael Jordan and the, the last dance documentary and you know, I think Jordan comes off generally, you know, in a positive light. Although there, you know, you look at some of his behavior with his teammates um, and opponents, and this is a guy who, uh, for him, the ends justified the means. So what he did was all in the service of winning, and that's all that mattered to him. And I think part of the confusion for many of us is, well, we look at a Michael Jordan. And look at how he's lionized and glorified. And this is like the greatest basketball player of all time. Um, but you could conceivably say that he wasn't a particularly good teammate in some regards. You know, uh, there are there are a number of players in that that documentary who are not particularly fond of Michael Jordan, um, given the experience. Right? Did the teams win? Yes, they did win. Um, is that is uh, you know sacrificing personal relationships with people an acceptable um, means of getting there? You know that's obviously for him to decide. But many of us are not Michael Jordan reaching the pinnacle of a sport like that, and so it becomes really hard to to justify that. And I think um, you look at some players, basketball players, who are in the around the same era, a little bit before, but um, Magic Johnson with the, with the Lakers and Larry Bird with the Celtics were two players who also were very good at winning and, and part of championship teams. And their teammates have very different perspectives on who they were as teammates and as human beings. And so, you know, just as a counterexample to Jordan, um, you don't have to be that way and be able to win. And, um, you know, players like Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, a lot of their philosophy was helping to raise others up to make the, to make the team better. Um, so different, different philosophies, but I think, you know, the idea of that sometimes we do glorify these people who perhaps act in unethical ways all in the service of winning. You know, I think we've even seen that on the coaching side where, you know, maybe not so much now, but a, a college basketball coach like Bobby Knight has often been glorified as a great, great coach. Sure, he's won some championships. He had an undefeated team during the 70s. Um, but there are a lot of stories about players who couldn't deal with the Bobby Knight experience. And um, that type of coaching has an impact on people. When there's this sort of win of all win at all costs attitude, it can affect your your character. It can affect your ethical character and how you treat other people. Um, so I think it's uh, it's understandable that there are misconceptions 
around what it means to be competitive and what's allowed. Certainly. Um, I, I think that this definitely ties into the ego as well. Um, where if, you know, if it's always about being competitive, it's always about winning. It's more about a comparison to those around you rather than a comparison to yourself um, or to your past self and thinking about how can I, how can I improve? How can I get 1% better? Um, you know, how can I slowly, you know, slowly day by day um, become the tennis player that I'm striving to be um, and, and reading ego is the enemy, um, which, which is, you know, highly, highly recommended. I think, um, you know, we've, we, we've talked about some, some stoic philosophy a little bit on this podcast, but um, you know, in, in Ryan holiday's work, um, ego is the enemy. He talks a lot about, um, you know, being competitive and um, how, this having an ego orientation um, has a lot of can have a lot of downsides. It can cause you to um, cut corners because you think you don't need to, right? You you don't need to necessarily put in the same level of work as, as everybody else because you're, you know, you're superior, you're better. Um, it, it can also cause you to not want to compete um, against everybody, um, because, you know, maybe you're afraid to lose or you're afraid to expose yourself. Um, I mean, we've talked on this show how there are benefits of, um, playing all sorts of different types of people, playing people around your level, playing people at a higher level, playing people at a lower level. Um, and if you look at, you know, top professional players, it's, it's the same, right? There might not be anybody, you know, who's necessarily above them, but in order to get to the level that they've gotten to they have needed to perform well against all different types of players some people you know they'll uh, some athletes they'll they'll tell me oh i don't always compete my best or play my best against weaker players which i think is is very common um it's definitely something i went through as well you know it, it can be common to um stop moving your feet stop giving it your all maybe stop even thinking about your game plan or your strategy quite as much um just almost play in a sloppier way because you think you can get away with it. Um, and what having too much ego or being, you know, too competitive, having being just about winning, um, you, you, you may not want to engage in those sorts of matches, maybe against the player, you know, with a lower UTR than you, um, because you're afraid of, you know, going, you know, uh, having your UTR drop, you're afraid of maybe not, putting up the performance that you're quote unquote expected to. Um, and you may not want to play against play people who are, you know, stronger or ranked higher as well um, because you may not want to expose yourself in that way or maybe afraid to lose. Um, so the, I, I think, you know, the, the, there are definitely um, downsides in terms of how competitiveness can tie in, tie into the ego and how that can almost, you know, protect somebody or, seem to protect somebody from um, really compete, competing um, and being a great competitor, um, which, you know, we, we've talked about in this show has, uh, has a lot more to do with that. It's more of a matter of, number one, are you doing everything in your power to perform at a high level? Um, are you doing everything in your power to um, try to, you know, improve day by day? Um, 
Are you utilizing your mental skills when you're on court to try to, you know, maximize the moment to come back to the present moment time and time again, so that you're not, you know, thinking about a point that took place five minutes, five minutes ago, or maybe, you know, in the state of mind where rather than thinking about the moment and what's important now, you're, you know, upset at the umpire or upset at the other player or a fan um, about something from the past. Um, And the same thing goes for, you know, thinking about the future too much. But um, yeah, I I think, you know, tying it back to this discussion, um, thinking more about being a great competitor is going to give you that better chance of winning rather than just being competitive and, you know, winning at all costs. Um, We were, Brian and I were also talking um, before we started recording that sometimes, you know, certain athletes, and they they talked about this as well in in ego and the enemy is the enemy um, that certain athletes or certain people in society who, you know, are, are, really successful who get to the top of their field and who are, you know, said to have a big ego. Sometimes it's said that they achieve, you know, everything that they've achieved because of it. Um, But really the argument that, um, that that Ryan holiday makes is that it's, it's more in spite of it, right. It's that, that having, you know, your, your ego, your competitiveness, isn't what's driving you to work hard every day. Isn't what's driving you to ultimately be the, the player that you are it that you're you're really doing it despite that and that most people um it, it actually ends up holding them back yeah and you know it would have been interesting to see had michael jordan had a different attitude what would have been different right um so what you were saying there reminded me of um the book flow by Bihai chicksenbihai just passed away recently um where he defines the point of competition and he notes that there are there are primary and secondary points and i think this kind of helps our argument here today that the primary point of competition is to perfect and improve your skills and i think that goes along quite well with what we've been talking about josh as tennis as a as a life project not about any particular win today um but in terms of contributing to you becoming the best that you can become. Um, certainly winning is a, is, is a part of the point of competition. It's just not the primary point. And Csikszentmihalyi notes that when winning becomes the primary point, that it's likely the enjoyment of the sport or the activity will be sucked out. And, Anybody who's been on a losing streak and is just so focused on winning knows how that feels. It's um, and Many of us have a love-hate relationship while we're playing. And, and why is that? It's because we're so upset about losing points and we're okay with winning points. And you just have these ups and downs throughout a match. Or you have these ups and downs throughout your season because uh, it's too much about the result and not enough about what we're we're trying to achieve um, in terms of you know, becoming the best we can become. When you look at tennis, so like if we bring this back to perhaps some of the greatest tennis competitors, you know, I grew up in in the seventies and eighties, and I would say that at that time there wasn't a lot of um, you know collegiality between the players. You know, there's some. Um, but there was much more, I would say, of an adversarial 
relationship uh, between players. I think, you know, McEnroe Borg was an exception. McEnroe really respected Borg tremendously, and there was never really any friction with those guys. But there was a lot of friction uh, with some of the other characters at that time. And even though the current tour is not completely harmonious, right? there are some relationships that are not as great as, as others. Um, I think in general, though, there's a much more collegial attitude amongst the players. There's a lot, a lot of respect. There are, there are some friendships there. They get like what it's all about. And so, yeah, many of those players in the 70s and 80s were great, great competitors. Were they better competitors than the guys today who actually are okay with having positive relationships with each other? I wouldn't say that they are. You know, um, not going to say one group is better than the other, but it would be hard to say that Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer are not as good competitors as some of those guys back in the 70s and 80s, given what they have done. And so I think it's, it is very possible to be a good person and to be a great competitor. They're not like mutually exclusive things. And um, those guys, I think they have a very good handle on what you're talking about, about the ego aspect. Of course, they want to um, leave a legacy and, and so forth. But for them, it's all about improvement, loving the game. Uh, and, and you see that the fact that they're playing so late into their careers uh, that how much how much they love the game so um, I think we should be careful you know like when we say like somebody like is uh, such a great competitor and he sacrificed everything to get there including you know his ethical standards and so forth and saying like that's the exemplar I think we have exemplars on the other side as well same with coaching and you know I talked about Bobby Knight well what about John Wooden John Wooden was not uh, a negative coach. He was not even a guy who talked a lot about winning. Uh, he was super process-oriented and detailed and you know, teaching his players how to put on their socks and tie their shoes so they wouldn't get blisters. Um, so I think, um, yeah, maybe we can start getting into a little bit more of the, the smaller dimensions of competitiveness, but um, just wanted to throw that out there, How what you said. And I agree, Ego is the Enemy is a great book. All of Ryan Holiday's books, actually, I found to be to be great and, and very informative in terms of like when we're talking about developing your own personal philosophy about performance excellence. I, I, absolutely, and I think you know to to your point about John Wooden, um, you know he was he was very process oriented. You mentioned that he doesn't didn't talk about winning, but it was all about excellence and success. And, you know, thinking about the different pillars that, that make up that pyramid. Um, so I, I think, you know, when you think about him or you think about certain coaches um, who have who have been tremendously successful, what separates a lot of them is really that that focus on on the process, knowing that doing the little things right, like you know, how you tie your shoes or, you know, the some, some of these minute details that maybe are overlooked and maybe easier to overlook if the ego can get in the way and you think that you're so much better than everybody else. And Hey, if I'm so much better, why would I need to care about those small details? Um, but by, you know, by focusing on that process, um, ultimately those small wins, those small improvements pay massive dividends. I mean, we've talked, you know, a, a number of times about atomic habits 
um, by James Clear. And, you know, he really breaks this down how, you know, getting 1% better um, over, you know, let's say the course of a year um, can, can just totally transform you. And I, I mean, as it relates to tennis, it's the same exact way, um, you know, by, you know, getting 1% better by picking one aspect of your game to improve. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe let's say even on the day off, um, it could be something to do with the, the mental aspect of the game or the strength, your strength and conditioning. Um, but, you know, by focusing on that improvement process, ultimately that's what brings out um, high performance rather than just this need to win at all costs. And, you know, when it, it, none of what we're saying is discounting the fact that it's important to win, that it's important to win and to want to win. Um, you know, it's you would most most people wouldn't be playing sports if they didn't care at all about winning. But that is one piece of of this entire thing, one piece of this puzzle. Um, part of it is you know wanting to compete, and when you're out there, yes, doing everything in your power to win. But it's also about you know, setting goals for yourself. It's also about trying to reach new standards of improvement. Um, so that, that is just one piece of it, but when the winning overshadows everything else, that's when it can become more of a problem. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, a logical question for a listener might be now, okay, well, so how do you measure whether you're competitive in, in, you know, what we're, we're discussing? So one of the ways I do that, um, with the athletes that I work with is I ask them to fill out something called the, the sport orientation questionnaire. Um, this was done by Gill and Dieter. Um, if you want to find a little bit more information about this, you can go to Google scholar, put in sport orientation questionnaire, uh, Gill and Dieter, and you'll, you'll, you'll get some info on that. And so, um, the, the questionnaire tries to measure three dimensions of like how, an athlete is oriented to to sport, and the three dimensions are competitiveness, win orientation, and a goal orientation. And just like you said, Josh, um, it is important to win. So what I thought I would do is uh, read off some of the items in which you're asked to rate yourself that contribute to the competitiveness scale versus the we can go through the win scale as well but i want to get your uh, your thoughts on some of these and how they kind of fit into what we're talking about so um they're probably about 12 or 13 of these so uh i am a determined competitor i am a competitive person i try my hardest to win so there's the win factor that goes into it i look forward to competing i enjoy competing against others I thrive on competition. My goal is to be the best athlete possible. I want to be successful in sports. I work hard to be successful in sports. The best test of my ability is competing against others. I look forward to the opportunity to test my skills in competition. I perform my best when I'm competing against an opponent, and I want to be the best every time I compete. So what I think is interesting there, Josh, is there's a lot more about the willingness to engage in competition. You brought it up earlier. There might be sometimes where we are avoiding it, but that's not a part of this. So I'm just curious, you know, just your take on some of those items. 
Yeah, I, I, th I think this, um, and I, I, I would also encourage you know people to take a look at this. Um, I, I, I think what what separates this um, from you know some of our earlier conversation is that you know it really is that focus on having competition bring the best out of you. That you know you strive to be the best athlete, um, or you you know you you look forward to beating the people around you. Um, so it's, it's more of, you know, let, letting competition be a tool to improvement and, and to performing at a high level. So, um, no, I, I think there's a lot of, a lot of good stuff there. Um, I think also, you know, that those aspects of working hard and having, um, you know, that, that are touched on there are really important, um, that, that, you know, that you're competitive and that that leads you to working hard. Um, to be the best. Um, so I, I think, no, I, I think that's r really important. Um, and I think looking at a scale like this can, can help people sort of frame competition in the right kind of a way, Definitely. because it no longer is just about winning, but it's, you know, winning in competition as, as a tool really. And I think, um, you know, we've, we've also talked on this podcast about, about competition and about match play, right. And how, um, through competing and through playing in matches, you number one, you learn certain skills that are that you can't learn on the practice court. You learn, you know, how to play in higher pressure situations. Um, you learn how to play in, in certain moments. Um, for instance, you know, deuce point or a tiebreaker. Yeah, clutch um, moments. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and, and also you, you get to see different types of opponents, um, and different types of moments that, that you wouldn't see if you weren't competing quite as much. Um, so I, I think, I think by, by using this scale, it, it helps people to understand the importance of competition and to really frame it and, and be able to look at it in, in that best possible way. And even though it's not called out specifically, it makes me think about, the, the Latin term where competition comes from, competere, which means to strive for with. And I think it's an important distinction that it, it doesn't mean to strive for against. And so this gets back to one of the items here about I perform my best when I'm competing against an opponent. Um, maybe that should even be phrased when I'm competing you know with an opponent only because um, – we need opponents. You know, opponents help us create our best performances. It's not so much about I have to beat that person, but um, you know, we've talked about how we can lose and play great and be satisfied with that. Versus, you know, the majority of us—not everybody—but would be less happy with a win and we played quite poorly. That doesn't feel as good for most of us. I think there there might be some people who are. Uh, more focused on the result there, right? And so it makes me think about that, um, that if we can be looking at this as an opportunity to perform our best, it, not about I have to beat this opponent, I hate this opponent, I need an opponent. It's rather boring to play tennis with nobody on the other side of the net. So you absolutely do need somebody there, right? Um, so how about we compare that that scale now to the win scale just to see what the differences are and, and why the competitiveness scale may be a little bit healthier. So there are fewer items on the winning scale. So uh, first, winning is important. 
Scoring more points than my opponent is very important to me. I hate to lose. The only time I am satisfied is when I win. Losing upsets me. I have the most fun when I win. So, we'd love to get your reaction to that, Josh. Yeah, um, I mean, what immediately comes to mind is sort of the avoidance of losing. Mm. Um, And how, I mean, what what this makes me think of is, you know, number one matches in my past that, that I lost where I've, you know, felt, felt satisfied because I felt that I, you know, brought out a high level or maybe I had a breakthrough in a certain way. And if it's always about winning and you're not satisfied ever um, in defeat, then, then you miss out on that. Um, I mean, I, you know, was, I, I, I've always had the philosophy that it's better, better to play well and to lose than to play poorly and win. I mean, ultimately you can't control who's on the other side of the net from you and you can't control how they perform. They might be having their best day of all time and there's not that much you can do that day, but what you can control, you know, the aspects that, that impact your own performance. Um, and ultimately, as we've talked about many times on this podcast, uh, the outcome is out of your control, right? You can influence it, but, but you can't actually control it. So being, um, being so influenced and, and, and ultimately being satisfied one way or the other based on that outcome um, is, is I, I think it is one of the factors that can lead players to you know, lose their satisfaction for the sport. Um, can stop, you know, they stop training as hard, they stop being as motivated, um, because it becomes all about winning. And then, you know, maybe you move up to the next age group, um, and winning suddenly becomes tougher. Um, we see that a lot. And, you know, if, if it's more about um, competing and development and improvement, then you understand that this is, you know, it's a process of, of getting there. But if it's all about winning, and all of a sudden, you go, you're in a slump or you're not winning, then you, you don't necessarily have that basis or that foundation to draw from um, during those tough moments. Yeah. And then the focus isn't so much on you becoming a great player. It's just about you winning. And mm-hmm. um, that could hold you back, like you've been saying, you know, but it also could hold you back in that you're not going to be as willing to challenge yourself to push the boundaries of where you could, could be, right? Because being good is a you know there's there's some comfort in that it's a comfortable place to be great you have to intentionally get uncomfortable and challenge yourself and that is going to result in some losing um but that losing may be purposeful when we're looking at building a great player but if we're not as interested in building a great player you're more likely to kind of hang in a particular zone where you're comfortable and winning all the time. And maybe you're the best player in your group and that's just what you want to do. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. Um, but that is what is happening. And there's probably more in you than, than you're giving yourself credit for. You're just perhaps not as willing to make yourself uncomfortable and challenge yourself and reframe, like you said, Josh, looking at these items maybe we could reframe competition for someone like that so that they'd be a little bit more willing to, to challenge themselves and to get uncomfortable and be okay with it. Because if you lose a tennis match, really, what 
terrible thing is going to happen? Probably nothing. I mean, you could look at junior tennis and maybe there are some issues, right, where there's a lot of pressure parentally, coaching-wise, right? That's there. But in general, most of us, when we lose a tennis match, nothing terrible is going to happen. You don't automatically become a horrible player just because you lost a match. People aren't going to sever their relationships with you just because you lost a match and you're no longer worthy being their friend, their son, their daughter, whatever. Um, None of those things are going to happen. So if we can be looking more at the sort of those competitive items on on, in this particular questionnaire and reframing how how we do it, I think uh, many of us who are listening to this could actually take their games further just by reframing what it means to compete. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and just understanding that, that, you know, com- competing is, is, is a skill and that, you know, by, by building that skill, that ultimately is going to help, you know, make you, make you into a better player. Um, can you, I, I guess one, one question for you is, can you think of any, um, examples of, you know, either, either in playing, you know, people that you've played or people that you've coached or, or worked with on the sports psychology side, um, that, you know, where sim- similar to what you were talking about this recent conversation, how, you know, you've, you found that, that, that urge towards, or, or that, that orientation towards, um, towards winning, um, ultimately held them back or was something that was, you know, tougher to, tougher to break through. Yeah. In fact, that athlete who I was having the conversation with, we've been working together for about a year and a half. And when we first started, uh, she's a figure skater, not a tennis player. She was very competitive in a way where she was always comparing herself to her fellow skaters. And that was definitely getting in her way because it was creating more anxiety, more about uh, trying to keep up with certain people, not rooting for them to do well. Because... In skating, there's no defense. So all you can do is uh, you know, go out and do it yourself. But there's this, there can be this culture of hoping others do poorly so I can look good in the standings. And she definitely had that. And we've been working on her definitions of competition over the last year and a half. And she recently – this is an exercise I've, I've been assigning to athletes as of late – she recently wrote her philosophy of performance excellence and in there talked about her reframing of competition to be one where it's just her trying to be the best skater that she can be. And she feels so much happier now when she skates. Um, and it's not about, you know, even in a sport like figure skating, you can't control who enters, who's in your pool of skaters. So it's not so much where she places within that. It's more about what her scores are. How are they compared to some of her scores in the past? Is she trending in the right direction and so forth? She's just a much happier athlete now that we've gone away from so much competitive comparison to more about using com- competition as a means to become the best athlete you know that she can be. So I think that's one of the better uh, stories um, in terms of athletes that, I, that I've worked with. Um, and, you know, I think it's good to note that she is much happier. She's able to handle whatever happens in competition 
in a much more you know balanced way, you know mentally than in the past, where things could have been very doom and gloom if there was a you know some sort of bad performance. That makes sense. No, I actually had a similar situation with a track and field athlete um, where she you know would was a is a high performer, um, and it w- it would always be about you know her comparing herself to some of the other you know, elite, uh, track and field athletes from some of the other schools that she would see at the meets. Um, and you know, when it became, when it started to become more about her being the best athlete that she could be and focusing on, on that and, and, you know, figuring really out what she needs to do to perform well, rather than thinking necessarily about beating one specific person, um, or, you know, focusing so much on the outcomes of setting a record here or, um, qual- you know, a- anything like that. Um, number one, you know, she started to perform better, but was, was a lot more satisfied um, and a lot that definitely seemed a lot happier. So I think, um, you know, when it becomes, it, it's almost paradoxical in a certain way, when it becomes less about winning, the winning actually becomes easier um, because, it, and I think, you know, we've talked about pressure but it, it can take a lot of pressure off as well when it's, you know, when it's all about winning, um, you, you n- number one, you're going to feel pressure and it can be easy to sort of back away from um, certain moments. I mean, we talked about, you know, whether it's um, certain types of matches against certain players um, could even be certain playing styles. Oh, I don't want to play that type of person. Um, and we see that in junior tennis sometimes with people, players, you know, withdrawing from matches, um, but I know I, I think that you know this this conversation is important because um, you know we I, I think I, I, as you've mentioned Brian these these sorts of skills are often glamorized um, you know winning at all costs um, doing anything to win uh, you know prioritizing winning um, over everything else and um, you know understanding that that is that is a piece of um, of things, but that, that it can't come at the expense of everything else. Yeah, I think that's, that's true. And, um, one of the, another exercise I'd like to do with athletes is have them think forward into their career about, you know, let's say the scenario is you're, you're being uh, inducted into some sort of tennis or athletic hall of fame. And how would you like people who are attending that ceremony? to describe you as a competitor. And um, it's interesting to see if they will include some aspect of how they related to other people in sport. Um, And I would say um, most do. Most will say that um, respect was an important part of them being a great competitor, that they respected others. Like they wanted other people to note that they did respect other people or they were fair or they had integrity and so forth. But every now and then there's someone who forgets that piece and it's okay. They may have just forgotten because, you know, we're talking about competition and hall of fame and success. And, um, because the one thing that we, you know, I would say is sort of the, what we don't want people to say at that induction ceremony. It's like, you know, Josh, he's a great tennis player. 
he really competed hard. He always wanted to win, but not really a good guy. That's not how you want people to speak of you because how you relate to others is a big part of your, uh, you know, your good character, but also a big part of your reputation. And that's something I think we can all more actively work on is if that's how you want to be seen as a competitor, say at the end of your career, now is the time to start working on that. And, and so I jotted down some things that I, I think are important that go into being like a competitive player, like a balanced competitive player. So I think, uh, as we've been saying, you know, playing to win at all times is, is really important because sometimes that, that skill goes up and down depending on the score. And that's not what should happen with a great competitor. You, you can be down a set and a break and there, there shouldn't be a drop in your determination or belief that you can win. Um, you know, I think this was mentioned in the, in the orientation scale, but having great determination and passion for being the best you can be, um, respecting the opponent, regardless of ability as a worthy adversary. We never see pro players say, yeah, I should win this match. Right. They, they go out there, they respect everybody. Um, I think playing with courage, especially in those big moments that we talked about that in our clutch performance episode, courage is a really big part of being a great competitor. Um, being humble in victory, but gracious in defeat. So no excuses. If your opponent won, your opponent won, you give them credit. I think great competitors are great learners, you know, before, during, and after matches. Um, they really want to participate in com- competition. And then their evaluation of their performance has more to do with comparing themselves to themselves, not comparing themselves to others. And so that's just maybe a quick list of things that I try to foster with athletes to get them to have a better definition of, of what it means to be competitive, to have a healthy one. Because, um, you know, one of the aspects of focusing too much on winning, and you brought this up, Josh, is... You, you're more likely to feel performance anxiety if it's if your if your orientation is more geared toward winning, um, or you're more likely to engage in unethical behavior or shortcuts on the way to where you want to go. So, do you have some uh, other points that you think about, like what it means to be a good competitor? I think you I think you brought up a lot of good ones there. Um, I think um, you know making sure that you're present for every point, you know, playing one point at a time, playing, you know, treating each point as if it's the most important point. And we've talked about that, how, you know, the each point or really the next point is the most important point of the match. Um, I I would say that's, that's definitely a big one. Always playing to win, I think is very tied into that. Um, I, I would say that the sportsmanship piece definitely has to do with that too, that you're not, you know, it may seem like it at the time that, um, you know, cheating on a line call here or there may be the way to win, but over time that, that, that catches up to anybody. Um, it, it affects your reputation, as you said, Brian. Um, and it, it also is going to turn off people from wanting to play with you or associate with you. Um, so I, I, I would, uh, of, of that list, the only one I would really add is, um, you know, making sure that you're playing each point, um, with with full focus and full presence. Yeah, and I think the 
to, to build on that full focus, right? If we think about, let's say, having a compete level, to me, having a good compete level is maintaining a high standard on all of those controllables. And that's a, that's a part of the focus, right? So yeah, it's playing one point at a time, but it's also, can you remain focused on your breathing, your body language, your effort, your fight, and, and keeping those at a high level regardless of the score. Um, and, and I think that that is a, a good addition, Josh, to, uh, to, you know, if we were to start compiling a, a list of traits or skills that great competitors have, I think that that's, that's a, definitely something to consider. Um, so, you know, in terms of um, if, if people are interested in the sport orientation questionnaire, I've already given you the um, citation to look up. But if you would like to take it, uh, just send us an email at tennisiqpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, I'll send you the, 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 the questionnaire and then uh, I can send you back once you get the results in. I can send you what your orientation is in terms of uh, competitiveness, uh, winning, or goal uh, achievement. Um, so Josh, any last thoughts before we, um, wrap this up? No, I think, um, I actually wanted to go back to, um, something that, that you brought up earlier about, um, you know, sort of your, your legacy, right? If, if someone was writing, um, you know, a speech about your career as if it was, were over, how would you want it to be described? And I think that's, that's an important thing to think about that. Yes. You know, winning and doing everything that you can to win is a really important aspect. Um, but thinking about how you treat and interact with others, um, thinking about how hard you work on a daily basis, thinking about, are you not just working hard, but are you really doing everything that you can do to, um, to perform well? Are you engaging your mental skills? Are you thinking about the strength and conditioning piece? Um, are you doing everything within your, with your um, nutrition to perform well with your sleep? Your, are you know, being conscious about your hydration? Um, so I, I, th- I think that's, that's really important. Um, and I think that having that perspective can, um, can do actually do a lot to change athletes day-to-day behaviors when you, you know, think about that this is not just something that's going to impact me right now, but how is this decision that I make now going to impact me going forward? And, you know, I want to um, have the type of career that I'm going to be proud of in all these different ways. So I think that's, that's an important point that I wanted to to go back to. Yeah. It's a great exercise regardless of, you know, whether it's your eulogy, obituary, induction to a hall of fame, it's, it's always good to be thinking, about that that legacy and reputation so great conversation josh thank you uh thanks everybody for listening that's that's our episode for today for more on today's episode please check out the show notes if you have any feedback or questions for me and josh feel free to email us at tennisiqpodcast at gmail.com you can also use the twitter hashtag tennisiq additionally please subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice including youtube so you can be notified of new episodes You can also check us out on Instagram. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon in our next episode.